This is episode 61 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 61 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. As I record this, it is Saturday, April 11th. I launched this episode on April the 12th. So the world is uh, continuing to get more and more interesting as we go. I uh, just want to recap a couple of things. As of this week, we're now hearing some rumblings in the media about Trudeau talking specifically about vaccinations and how things are not going to return to normal until we get vaccinations. And I want to just take a moment and dissect that for uh, for now. Uh, so looking at the outlook of if we were to stay in ice isolation for a year's time, what would happen? Well, I've done some research and you can actually just Google the government of Canada financial statements and find out that we actually have just over $1 trillion in national debt that is interest bearing right now, uh, which represents at approximately a 2% interest rate, uh, roughly $20 billion per year, uh, which is quite a bit of money to the average taxpayer when you divide that by the 38 million people we have in this country. So given that that amount adds up to be quite a bit, if we tack on another year of deficit, and we're talking mass deficit, it is theoretically possible that we even double our national debt in the next year. And that is something that's very concerning to me because as it is right now, we haven't been able to run balanced budgets. Our country continuously gets more and more in debt and then taxes have to be raised more and more. And as you know, we're already quite heavily taxed here in Canada. And there's a certain sense of apathy as a business owner. I can say I've identified it in lower income brackets. People just don't really want to work because they know they can still get some social assistance. They can still get uh, some benefits. So there's, there's lesser motivation. There's more of a push up on wages. Okay, so that's one element. We want to keep that in mind. The other element is we are also on track to spend a lot of government money that's been borrowed. So you hear this referred to as economic easing, as helicopter money. Basically, the government is printing money, more or less, creating money and giving it to people who aren't working right now. So we've got a $2,000 subsidy. Uh, this money is circulating back into the economy. And right now, we're not seeing the effects of this. But when you consider supply and demand, this is the basics of economics. When you have supply uh, and then you have demand, in a specific set number of dollars, as long as those are in equilibrium, your prices stay the same. But the second you have more demand than you have supply, prices get driven up. So what's going to happen as we come out of this, because our supply chains are so compromised right now, uh, what's going to happen when we come out of it, we've got all these people who have been getting money, even though they haven't been creating value, they haven't been creating the goods that we all consume. Uh, there's going to be more dollars of demand out there than there is supply, and our prices are going to go up, and we're, gonna, we're going to experience what's called inflation. The longer we stay in lockdown, the worse that problem is. And I'm not telling you this to frighten you. I'm telling you this because I want you to be educated to do your own research and to make a statement to your local MPs, to speak to the people around you, to try and create some awareness about this and what we need to do as a people to protect our nation's sovereignty. Uh, and this is the part that I'm getting to, because if we allow that hyperinflation or that, that large-scale inflation that I believe would come if we spent an entire year on this lockdown, uh, in combination with the extreme deficits and the massive debt, we've basically put ourselves in the weakest economic position we've ever been in as a country and our sovereignty is at risk. We're talking about a situation where there actually might not be enough, enough goods available because of compromised supply chains for the people in our country. This is not something we want, my friends, because we know all the bad things that can happen from that. Our goal, everybody only talks about saving lives right now. Well, think about the economic unrest, the civil unrest that comes with people not having enough, with people being basically broke. Yes, they have dollar bills in their hand, but they don't have anything to spend it on. This is obviously a, a worst case scenario, but it's one that is possible. And we have to keep that in mind. Keep in mind that in World War II, 45,000 Canadians died protecting our rights and freedoms. And now we're talking about a projections of somewhere in the 15,000 uh, person mark here. And most of those people already have compromised immune systems. And by no means am I diminishing their value. They are absolutely valuable. And it's tragic. But the thing we do need to remember here is that we are at war. This is a war with an invisible enemy that's infiltrated our society. Sounds very familiar to the early early 2000s and problems with terrorism, but we have a virus that is is at war with us and there will be casualties. So we need to find a way to re 
engage our economy and get back to work so that we can preserve our rights and freedoms. I've given this example before. If you've been following me, you know. But in the 1930s, Hitler rose to power because Germany was experiencing hyperinflation, uh, an absolute economic devastation and massive debt from their war reparations and all the money that they spent during World War I. Uh, obviously, our circumstances are a little bit different, but we're setting ourselves up with the same fundamental ingredients that could be our downfall. The even more concerning thing than that is this is the entire world. We as Canada need to make an example for what's possible. Sweden's been doing some some interesting things. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that I have the perfect solution. What I'm saying is we together need to think of something better because Trudeau is not doing what we need him to do right now. He's talking about using vaccines when there's all kinds of questions about vaccines. People saying it'll take 18 months. There's never been a a successful coronavirus vaccine ever created. In fact, the vaccines for coronavirus specifically that have been created have actually caused worse illness when people were actually exposed to the uh, the actual coronavirus that they were supposed to be vaccinated for. And I can provide that reference information to anybody who would like to reach out to me. I wanna get you thinking. I know this is uh, obviously quite the rant, but I'm so passionate about being able to protect Canada, being able to protect our freedoms and our way of life. And I feel that there is not a very balanced discussion happening in the media right now. And I want you to please question that. Why is that the case? Why is dissent not being entertained? Why are people not allowed to speak out about this? Uh, very concerning. I'm so glad I have this platform. I so, I'm so glad that you're here listening or watching. And I just want to say, I really do appreciate you. Uh, please reach out to me if you have thoughts on this. I'm, I'm obviously interested in talking. Uh, Again, guys, this is just my position on this. I am not saying I'm 100% right, but I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it and I want you to do the same. Please do that. Uh, Now, getting into this episode, we have a absolute monster on the show today, Austin Ye. I recorded this episode quite a bit before our lockdown, but Austin is an incredible real estate investor that's only been in the game for 18 months, already acquired 13 properties and he's showing no signs of stopping. He's got great energy. He documents everything he does and he's become very proficient at using social media to build his network to build his joint venture partners and do so in a way that's very diplomatic and it seems to be very effective austin is an investor in windsor ontario he's investing for cash flow and he's already set himself up to be in a position where he could potentially quit his job within the next year assuming we can get through this current madness you're really going to enjoy this episode and i want to thank you for keeping up to date on the podcast despite everything that's going on knowledge is power and thank you so much i appreciate you listening to my rant If you have any suggestions on how I'm going to be able to cut my hair, I would also appreciate that because it's getting pretty long. Thanks, guys. Enjoy episode 61 with Austin Ye. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Austin Ye, like, yay, it's party time. He's here on the show. Thanks, Austin. Thank you so much for having me on. And I, am I getting clever with these intros? I, I like to think I am. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, you must get that a lot. I do get that a lot. Austin, Austin Power, Stone Cold Austin, Austin. Yay. Everything. <laughs> I've heard it all. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I guess it was a long time coming because we've known each other since, I don't know. I feel like I've first known you podcast. For- I was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was down at India actually when I played your first podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've been a supporter a long time, and I've appreciated that. And um, and I don't really know what you've been up to. I knew you had that Windsor property. We talked about it uh, a little while back, mm-hmm. and I feel like you've been quite busy. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a busy past couple of months lately. Pretty stressful. Um, still managing a full time job with all of the rental properties as well. Yeah, what are you uh, what are you doing for work? Yeah, so I'm working in finance right now, one of the big five banks. Okay. Uh, so I studied accounting, then transitioned into finance in undergrad. Um, but I worked all over the place, strategy, consulting, audit. Okay, so you did one of those, like, uh, what do you call it? The, Co-op the, internships. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, where'd you go to school? I went to UTSC, University of Toronto Scarborough campus. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got into all those different jobs and then you decided real estate was the way. Yeah, so funny story about that. Um I guess like backpedaling into how I kind of got into all of this real estate stuff. Uh, so my parents were born and raised in India. Kind of weird since I'm Chinese. A lot of people are surprised by that fact. Um, they immigrated over to Canada around the 80s. So it's the typical immigrant story that you hear, right? That mm-hmm. they had to work 90 hour work weeks to, to make ends meet. Um, so I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and going into elementary school, I wanted to be a doctor just because they paid a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Didn't have much growing up. So I knew that I wanted to get a job where I can 
pretty much buy anything and a doctor yeah. and dentist uh that's kind of what yeah. i thought about um going into high school i did well on business courses um and i just i had no particular passion in it but since i was doing well in it i decided you know what what the hell i'm gonna go study business um got a pretty good scholarship going into university worked a bunch of great internships so like yeah pwc deloitte uh hydro one and like consulting audit all of that good stuff okay but no matter what i was not satisfied with where i was at and it's funny because i got good grades i got a good scholarship i worked great internships but yet for whatever reason i was doing what everyone told me to do but i still wasn't satisfied and it was just that corporate lifestyle um so i started dabbling around in stocks a bit uh, i was doing weed stocks at the time where i was at an all-time high and i was trying to swing trade and that went horribly horribly you lost some money there i lost uh, uh more money than i would have liked to there um and i was like okay so stocks isn't necessarily for me um so then i started googling ways to make passive income and real estate was one of those ways uh, and of course as a millennial first thing we do is youtube it so i ran across like matt mckeever matt pichet uh, mike rose are guys who you interviewed before i i saw their content on youtube and i thought this was definitely the way to go and i never looked back since Okay, so chronology as far as time goes, like when did you make the decision to get into real estate? Like mm-hmm. what year? So 2018 August is when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. September is when I purchased my first property. Um, so pretty much I got into my first property without doing much due diligence at all. So that was the Windsor one? The, uh... That was the Windsor one. So I invest out in Windsor actually. All my holdings are down there. Okay. Um, now I don't know where you were at when I was talking to you. I just knew of the one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what are you at for context now? Um, I think it was 13 properties, uh, most of which I actually acquired last month. A lot of off-market deals came. Luckily, I was able to stagger some of the closing. And more recently, I've been tracking, I've been documenting everything on social media. So raising capital has become a bit more easier now uh, versus the beginning. But up to 13 properties, and I did two wholesale deals so far. <laughs> okay so how did you go from like one when we first talked to 13 now yeah so the first one was a complete sh- <laughs> can i swear no i'll hold that. I'll bleep it out go ahead <laughs> okay it was a complete crapshoot and basically i bought the first property as i alluded to earlier without like much research at all i had about forty thousand dollars saved up yeah um scholarship money internships and all of that stuff and pre- I can't buy anything in Toronto. A parking lot's like a hundred thousand dollars. So there's no way Toronto was the the city for me. A parking space is a hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like two hundred sometimes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy. And I was under the impression that I had to invest in my backyard. I didn't know any other market at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went on Google, and I'll be frank, I didn't do that much research. I was just trying to find cities that I could afford real estate in. And Windsor happened to be that market. And the numbers did make sense there. Um, even though it was four hours away, I was like, you know what? I'll figure things out. So I ended up buying my first property, not really doing much networking at the time, not having any systems in place. And I worked with the first ever realtor I met. Terrible mistake. Oh yeah. 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 Should, should never do that. Um, basically it was a listing agent that listed this property. And, uh, I asked, sorry, not this property, another property. I, I called her and said, is it still for sale? She said, no, but if you come over to Windsor, I'll show you some other ones. So she took me around, uh, pretty much pressured me to buy one. And, uh, so you bought that one. It didn't, it didn't work out well then. Number one, it worked out well, but there was a lot of mistakes and I, a lot of the things were pure luck that I struck out on. So it turned out to be a pretty decent deal. Single family home that I picked up for 130K. Um, it was listed at 150. I put about 25K in like Rano's closing costs and all of that. And it appraised for 178 uh, three months later. And okay. right now it's probably about 250, 260. Um, but that was just out of pure luck. I worked with the wrong contractor for the first property. I was just doing everything wrong. Yeah. Um, and I could have pretty much quit there because it was a very very stressful experience especially when you didn't lose money on it i didn't lose money on it no no and i think that was kind of a realization that you know what like real estate there's a lot of power to grow real estate i kind of indirectly bird the property but Mm -hmm. i i learned from all of these mistakes and i knew that hey like there's actually feasibility to scale this portfolio but i have to make sure i have the right systems and teams in place so luckily for me with the first tenant they paid up uh, they paid one year's rent up front Ooh. and I took all of that money and obviously I ended up buying another property. So I partnered with a buddy of mine for the second property, um, pretty much did the birth strategy again. 
then got an off-market duplex. And then after the duplex, it's pretty much raising capital at that point in time. People started to see what I was doing as I was documenting everything and reaching out saying, I have some money lying around. Do you want to partner up and, and get something done? And that's pretty much where everything started taking off. Okay, so you, you were putting it out there that you were looking for partners and, and it was kind of coming back to you. I wasn't really putting it out there too much. So one thing I was cognizant of is that the, the Ontario, I think it was Ontario, Ontario Securities. Security, Securities Commission. I know a lot of investors kind of put it out there that they're looking for partners, but I always yeah. wanted to stay on side, or at least I could argue that I was on side or uh, yeah. on something. So I really just put, I was just tracking everything I was doing. And one person reached out to me. Um, sorry, my first partner was actually my mom. So I would say, Hey, they fit the, the exemption. Exactly. Yeah. And, and with the first partner, I would never call out that it was my mom. I would say, Hey, an investor had purchased a property with me. These are how the numbers are going. So it made it kind of clear. I was looking for investors and people started reaching out to me after that. Um, but I don't try to blindly JV with someone. I did at least sit down and meet them and talk with them a bit before we go down that path. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very intimate relationship, right? It was to to get into business with somebody, to have an ongoing relationship with them. Um, you really do need to make sure you make a wise decision there. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right, and you know, not enough people give uh, give any thought to the whole solicitation element. And there's so many people out there that just are you know being billboards for JVs, and uh, that's that's a risky position if there's ever a crackdown and. Uh, not a place that I ever wanted to uh, find myself on the wrong side of. So, so, uh, yeah, that's why, uh, you don't, you don't hear those kind of things coming from me. Um, one day I'm going to find a way to legitimately solicit certain things and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I agree completely. All it takes is one for everything yeah. to start getting shut down. So I'd, uh, like, again, what you were saying, I'd rather stay on yeah. side. Got to be able to sleep at night. I mean, there's so many rules on so many things in every level of government. And like, it's some people have that attitude. Well, you couldn't possibly follow all the rules, but I don't know. You, you got <laughs> you do have to kind of take, take a, a moment and scratch your head sometimes, yeah. I guess. Um, anywho. So, I mean, that still doesn't quite get us uh, context to how you got to so many houses. Uh, are, are all of these work in process as far as burr goes? Yeah. So. Um, all of the properties will either be a burr or a wholesale, uh, like something that I'm just going to sell the contract off to. Um, I guess to kind of enlighten a bit more as, as to how I scaled. Um, so we left off on the third one where basically I burned my second and first property to fund my duplex. And then after that, the fourth property was a single family house conversion to a duplex. And that was through a joint venture partner. Every property after that has been a partnership yeah. where I didn't put uh, any money down. Yeah. But I did bring the borrowing capacity for a couple of the JV deals because at the beginning, I didn't have that much value. Well, I did have value to add, but I was starting off with the joint ventureships. Yeah. So I had to bring a little bit more than the next person. So I bought the borrowing capacity and the expertise and the other people bought their money. Um, five of those deals that I just mentioned, four or five of them were took like it was in January where I acquired them. January January was really that phase where everything blew up. Um, I guess at the beginning, I actively had to pitch Windsor to people because people were like, why the hell would yeah. I invest in Windsor? But now if you go Google best city to invest in, mm-hmm. um, people are just seeing Windsor pop up. So there's not much convincing on my end. People end up finding me yeah. because they kind of have the thought process of they already want to invest in the city. So luckily, I've been able to lock out on that. So I haven't I didn't have to actively go and convince people as much now, more that people are coming to me um, with capital to invest. Uh, so I really wish I could give you like a magic answer, but all it was for me mm. was documenting everything, documenting everything from when I purchased my first property, every single mistake I made along the way, every networking event I went to, um, when I spent like a thousand dollars going to an event, when I hired a coach. So, uh, Corey McKinnon's actually a coach, uh, as actually my coach. Um, when I mentored under Mike Rosehart for a specific period of time, um, I was out there just recording and documenting everything. And a lot of people, although they want to invest in real estate, they see the time, the time I put into it and they think to themselves, there's no way in hell that you want to go through all of that. So I'd rather just partner with someone instead. Yeah. So just the documentation. 
Well, I love that you, you know you broke something down really important there, and I think that a real bare bones JV concept talk would be warranted at this point um, because you mentioned that you got to bring something to the deal, right? Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the basic ingredients to make a JV work? Like, there are there three things you got to have, mm-hmm. and, or are there three things to have, and you got to have two of the three? Yeah, yeah. So it's the the money people deal concept, yeah. right? Um, essentially what it is, is that as a JV partner, the active partner, you bring the people, the people being the management team. So that's the contractors, the electricians, yeah. the property managers, um, the, the realtors, everything, everyone in, in regards to real estate. I call that the hustle and the expertise. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's different terms, uh, that people call it, but, yeah. uh, I, I know in Stefan Arnio's book, it's like the people. Okay. Um, and the, the deal is probably the most important part. Yeah. Um, cause anyone can go on the MLS and buy a property. Yeah. But not many people have access to off market deals, especially in this insanely hot market that we're facing right now in Windsor. And in pretty much, I think it's like across almost all cities in Ontario where there's multiples all over the place. So to find an off market deal, you're bringing a lot of value just because you're buying a property undervalued straight off the bat. So there's instant return there. And, uh, by having the deal, and having the people in place, um, the third ingredient to make the JV happen is the capital, the money. Which is the capital and the qualification. Exactly. Yeah. The capital and the qualification. Yeah. So a lot of people have money sitting around, but if the money's not earning you any return, it's dead money. It's useless. You can have a million dollars in cash, but if it's sitting in your savings account, it's losing money over time. So what's, what's the yeah. use of that? Uh, not many people have the, the deal and the, uh, the team, the people. In addition to what you're saying, though, there are even more people that have equity lying around in their personal primary residence in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars range. And I call that dead equity. It is, yeah. Uh, because it's dead. It's not doing anything for you. It's, it's, uh, if you can leverage that with a home equity line of credit, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, which you're paying you know, what, three, three and a half, four yeah, percent to four percent. And, uh, and there's, you know, I've, how many people have I had on this podcast that are getting, you know, their partners are getting uh, 10 plus 20 plus, you know, that that's very, very doable. Right. So it's kind of an arbitrage scenario. And I've had, yeah, on this topic, I've had multiple partners that I've worked with. Well, I, I won't call them partners, but we've, they've been private lenders to me, uh, which they've done exactly that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I did want to touch on is that earlier you mentioned that the the money is both the borrowing capacity and the capital. And and although I do agree with that, mm-hmm. um, so I cater more towards kind of the the younger audience or the new investor since I've only been doing it for 18, 19 months now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one question I get a lot is how do you raise capital? How are you convincing people to do 50-50? Well, if you're not bringing that much value to begin with, then you don't have to ask for 50-50. You can do a 70-30 split. You can yeah. you can do a 50-50, but you take 70% of downside risk and the other party takes 30% uh, of the downside risk, right? So it doesn't have to be a middle 50-50 split, especially when you're starting off. Well, it's all, it's all what you can negotiate, right? Um, there's a book and I haven't read it, but the concept was explained to me and I thought it was great. The Hardest Sell. I've never heard uh, that book. Yeah, and basically the, the concept is the hardest sell is selling yourself. Do you believe in your own value? Because that, if you can, if you can tackle that one, you can convince anyone else. Yeah. But good luck convincing anyone else if you don't believe in your own value. Yeah. So that was uh, "Seller Be Sold" is a book that I read yeah. by Grant Cardone. Yeah. Very similar concept to what you pointed out right now. Grant Cardone says if you don't one hundred believe, one hundred percent believe in yourself and complete confidence that your product and service is better than the next person's product yeah. or service, do not even attempt to sell it because you don't firmly believe in it in yourself. Yeah. And don't lie to yourself about it either. Well, Just find your value propositions that you bring. Big reason why I think it's so important that somebody, uh, anything you're selling, you've bought or would buy, right? I mean, you can't buy everything you're selling depending on the context, exactly. but but you would buy it, right? So, uh, and that goes big with investments, right? You know, even if you invest a little in something and you know, you're trying to convince somebody else, well, I invested what worked for me. Um, and you know, that's why, and this is why I did it. Then you're a lot easier to sell that person versus not investing in it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, so it just comes down to the value you believe you bring the, the level of expertise you believe you bring to the deal, how well you know your stuff and, and uh, reputation is big for that clearly, right? Cause you're generating this through people who are seeing what you're doing and you're just a little social media butterfly. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I need I need you uh, to help me with my social media. <laughs> Absolutely, man. <laughs> got to come out of my shell a little bit. <laughs> I have trouble with the stories, man. <laughs> yeah, you just got to put yourself off. It's terrifying at the beginning. And it's uh I, it took me some time too because when you're in the moment and you're networking, you don't want to pull out your phone and just start Not recording at things. All. Not at all. Yeah, I had to force myself to start doing that. But once I started yeah. doing that, it became a lot better just uh, in terms of raising capital. Just because, again, like if I had five properties and no one knew who I was, I'll have a very tough time raising capital rather than if I just had two properties and everyone knows who I am. Right, it's all yeah. about putting yourself out there. It, it, it is about the uh, the awareness for sure, and in the hustle, like you show, like, hey, I'm doing it. I'm sincere. Like, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm being honest. If I only have two, and and you can still like, even if you have none, if you you can get into into a conversation with somebody and and be confident just based on how much research you've done. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you haven't got the experience, do the research to to back it up. Say, hey, no, I haven't done that, but here's what I've done because I don't have the experience. I've overcompensated. Yeah. That's been my mentality my whole life. If I felt inferior on something, I overcompensated and, and then I ended up, you know, doing way more than I needed to. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's okay. If that's how you get started. And, uh, you know, I think there's just so many ways to, to, to get a deal to happen. I agree. For sure. And, you, and not everybody, for the record, not everybody needs to do a JV. There's, there's other ways to do deals. But I mean, holy crap, 13 properties mm-hmm. in 18 months. Mm-hmm. I, I think what really kind of, uh, made things trek along quicker is, uh, getting the teams and systems in place. Cause I'm still working full time right now at Toronto. That's four hours away from the city I invest in. Um, but the corporate job taught me a lot, a lot in the sense that such a cute dog. <laughs> <laughs> Ken wanted to come up a lot in the sense that um, a lot of people ask me, how am I getting off market deals when I'm from Toronto? Um, They ask me, how am I managing contractors? Uh, How am I managing my properties? But it's the same thing with your corporate job. Think about it. Like the CEO of Microsoft, he is not coming to Canada looking at what the Canadian analysts are doing on a day to day basis, right? He, he hires it out. He hires it out to the experts. Um, it's the same thing with any business. Like the CEO is not there doing the nitty gritty work and they might have multiple shops in different cities. How are they managing all of it? Real estate's the same thing. It's a business. So you got to hire it out to the right people. Mm-hmm. You got to interview your contractors. Um, for example, like Andrew, let's say you were starting your own business and you had one employee who was like a stellar employee. Employee, and you're looking for a second employee, you're going to ask that employee like for some referrals. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I go to other investors, well-respected investors, yeah. and I ask them, who are the contractors that they use? Who are the contractors that I highly recommended? I take their advice and I start interviewing these contractors. So I see a lot of parallels between operating any sort of business and even working in the corporate culture and how you can apply that in your real estate business. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. So you're working, you're working with general contractors who are doing all the work for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm working with GCs. Now those general contractors, how, like what kind of renovations are you doing first off? Yeah. So I guess the biggest renovation that I have done, or I guess in the middle of doing is a duplex conversion. I don't take anything overly significant. So I don't deal with anything with structural issues just because I know my limitations. If I'm dealing with those things, uh, I'd much rather be at the city kind of managing it or if i'm dealing with a complete gut to the studs and building it up um then of course mm-hmm. um i would need to be down in the city much more often um but i'm really focused on i treat this as a business i'm focused on driving the revenues to my business if it means hiring a gc and expenses increase just a little bit more yeah um that's completely fine i just have to justify it by increasing the top line or finding better deals finding better deals exactly yeah what are you what are you paying on your duplex conversion well first off is it just the basement that's being renovated and the upstairs fine yeah the upstairs fine uh just the basement needs to be renovated uh the basement renovations are probably going to be 50 55 grand so it's cheaper in windsor than up here in the hamilton area yes it is cheaper than windsor uh definitely than hamilton yeah Mm -hmm. because i don't think i've heard anybody doing their conversions less than like 70 and that's that's an old school number no one's talking that kind of number (laughs) anymore yeah so so the funny thing with this property it's not funny it's like kind of crappy is that this is a lesson i've learned the hard way is to always do due diligence myself and not rely on other people. Or uh, So I bought this property thinking that it was a duplex. Purchase and sales of agreement says it was a duplex. It's an off-market deal. I had two separate electrical meters, two furnaces, like everything. So it wasn't legally a duplex. No, it was, not a legally, it was not legally a duplex, even though Enwin uh, had it as two separate 
like had two separate bills for it, right? Like yeah. two separate meters. Um, but then I found out the city came and basically cracked down because we're doing some cosmetic renovations in the basement. And, uh, yeah, so now I have to deal with that and legally convert it. So that's gonna, that, that's been kind of a pain. Um, just because I'm managing at long distance and it's my first time, uh, basically executing this. Do they have a, they have a, a secondary dwelling unit, uh, bylaw that allows that in any zoning? Uh, I don't believe it's with any zoning. Does it allow it with yours? Yes, it does allow with mine, luckily. So for mm-hmm. you, you just had to go in and put in a permit application and then you have to let them sample to see if there's fire separations exactly. and all that? Yeah. And yeah. if there aren't fire separations, yeah, you got to open it up and mm-hmm. and do them. Yep. Luckily, yeah. like when you make money on the buy. So I bought this property uh, for $202,000, mm-hmm. uh, 202K. And the, uh, it's three bedrooms upper, three bedrooms lower. We already got all of the drawings done. Um, and the ARV is probably going to be close to 400,000. Um, so there's still a lot of spread to be made. Uh, it was, it yeah. was a home run deal, luckily. Where'd you find that one? Uh, off market. So, well, it's a pocket listing. An agent bought it to me saying that one of the yeah. sellers wanted to sell it, uh, cause they were upgrading to another bigger property, bigger project. So they ended up selling this to me for fairly cheap. Um, well, actually really cheap. The bank actually appraised it much more than I purchased it for. Um, with the off markets that I've been getting now at the beginning, I was relying a lot more on agents to give me pocket listings, but now I focused on contacting wholesalers and two, I've been just trying to reach out to sellers myself, uh, despite being (laughs) in Toronto. So uh, I'm guessing Ben is one of the uh, contacts you have down there. Yeah, Ben's one of the contacts and I have many more. Like I, I can't even remember all the names. So one thing that I've been doing is I've been going on Kijiji searching the We Buy Houses ads and I'm not looking to sell a house, but I'm looking to buy houses as well. So you're contacting them. Yeah, because I'm assuming they're a wholesaler. So I get on the phone with them every single ad and say, hey, I'm not looking to sell a house, but are you a wholesaler? Yes. Okay. Ask a couple of questions like how many deals have you done? How long have you been doing this for? How often do you come across? cross deals, all of that good stuff, and then add me to your wholesale list. So I've been doing that with almost every number on Kijiji. And I've also been actively seeking myself. So I've been making connections down at Windsor with uh, university students. And if they know uh, retiring landlords or landlords that are much older, um, I'll try to set a meeting with them. And it worked out once. Um, I got an off-market student rental property doing that. Uh, sitting down with the landlord and talking to them, they had nine properties. Convinced yeah. them to sold their sell their primary residence as well. So uh, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> so there are opportunities out there. You just got to hustle. It doesn't matter if you're four hours away. You got to be a bit creative. Okay, so what kind of conversation did you have with this gentleman who has nine properties, and what kind of offer were you trying to make to him? Like, how did you decide what the appropriate number was? Yeah, so. Someone came up to me and said that, hey, the landlord's looking to sell, a pro- or their previous landlord, this was their previous landlord, um, was looking to sell uh, their their student rental. So they were trying to negotiate it, but it wasn't going too far. Yeah. So uh, they they told me, and I kind of stepped in and had a meeting with the with the landlord. Um, I I knew the price that I had in mind, but I really wanted to see if I could grab a VTB uh vendor take back yeah um however they were not re- they were open to doing 75 percent loan to value um but i would rather just go to the bank and get 80 percent loan to value at a lower interest rate in, in that case so that didn't really work out what about a second position they were not open to second oh, position okay. their lawyer advised them against it lawyers always screw everything up lesson to the wise and i'm not saying don't get ila definitely do whenever you need but uh i find a lot of times like especially on off-market negotiations as soon as a lawyer gets involved okay oh, kiss yeah. that do- kiss that deal goodbye <laughs> absolutely absolutely and even with the vtb so the funny thing is is actually i told them like these are the tax benefits of a vtb ask your accountant so she called her accountant and the accountant had Didn't no know. idea what a vtb <laughs> was so i look like a i look like a scammer but i there was enough trust there from one meeting uh, yeah. for her to still offer 75%. So what I do is I just ask a bunch of questions. I, I start building a report at the beginning so I don't go into business right away. Yeah. Just asking them, oh, like, what do they do for a living? Uh, oh, they're managing all of these properties. Like small talk, like in corporate, you get used to all of this small yeah. talk stuff. Start with small talk and then I, I get down to business saying, uh, okay, so I know you wanted to sell this property. Um, like, were there any issues with it? Like, why are you selling it? What price are you looking for? 
for? What are you planning to do with the money? Just a bunch of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And after I had a better idea, I, I kind of knew that she was not extraordinarily motivated, but also she was not ultra aware of what was going on in the market. She just kind of wanted to get rid of it and wanted like a 30 day closing. Um, yeah. So I was able to meet that, right? I gave her a quicker closing. So what do you think? Like, what do you think your value you offered her on that one? What was it? 200? No, that, that one was, was 345,000. What do you think it would have gone for on the market? On the market? At that time, it, it was hard to say because you've like there were junk student rentals selling at 380 or 390. Yeah. So I, I would not be surprised if it sold for 380, 390. Um, yeah. And, and it's just all just really talking and understanding yeah. the seller's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, is very, very important. You're absolutely right. And I think a lot of people don't want to put in that effort, uh, cause it takes time it does. to build that rapport. So you, were you doing that in person or over the phone? I did that in person. It was just one meeting, build a report. And I went down there for a second meeting, probably two weeks later and locked up that deal and pretty much convinced her to sell her primary residence to me as well. Cause she wanted a upsize to a different property down at Windsor. And these were deals you did with a joint venture partner? Um, one of them I wholesaled. Well, both of them I wholesaled really. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what kind of fee could you take when you were only about 40, 50 below market? Yeah, I took, at that time, that was my first wholesale deal. So I took 3.5K for, for one of them. And the other one, um, I actually gave it for free to my joint. I know, I know. Yeah. I gave it for free to my joint venture partner. Um, just again to build a report for, cause I'm a relationship guy. Yeah. That guy, sure. that guy wanted to do two deals with me. He already has one JV with me and he wanted to get started. On, I know kind of his goals. He wants to start doing it himself and raising capital. So I was like, here's a perfect opportunity. I got you a student rental below market value and he raised capital for that. So I'm all oh, about nice. relationships, like creating a win-win situation. Cool, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a good way to, to make somebody like you. <laughs> you <laughs> give them a free deal. Yeah. Um, okay, so it sounds like, man, you're just hustling nonstop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, luckily for me, it was a lot of that is because of the coach. I, I'm a, I, as I was speaking a bit earlier, I was a good student at school. So I'm very studious if there's a if there's kind of a a textbook i'll read through it and i'll just memorize what's going on there and i'll write the tests and i knew i needed a coach because in real estate you can chase every shiny object out there but i wanted someone to create a curriculum for me yeah i wanted someone to create a curriculum for me and uh that's why i i I knew that i needed a coach because i was chasing every shiny object out there I kind of had goals all over the place, but I needed someone to narrow things down for me. So what's your coach doing for you that's keeping you focused? Accountability is a huge one. That's actually the main reason why I hired the coach. Two reasons is to raise capital and uh, kind of learn how to do that. And two is accountability. Because when I'm not accountable to something, I know myself too well that I will start to slack off eventually uh, if I don't have something concrete and an actual game plan, like homework every week. So my coach gives me homework on a weekly, bi-weekly basis to keep me on track to my goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, like if I don't do the homework, I'm talking to him on the phone saying I didn't do it. It shows that I'm not serious, right? So I'm being yeah. accountable to someone. And also there's a lot of things that I was hesitant on doing, um, but just having someone there to kind of motivate me, guide me along the way mm-hmm. was extremely important. So social media, going on LinkedIn was one I w- was one thing I was extremely hesitant on. I would have never done LinkedIn just because I was working a corporate job, um, but he kind of eased me through it. And instead of saying, hey, like, look at this deal, look at that deal, my LinkedIn focus is writing articles down and solely just to educate other people, yeah, just for educational purposes. And it, But it's giving me credibility in another sense. Yeah, absolutely it is. Now, LinkedIn's one of the ones I've been thinking about, too. And somehow LinkedIn just, like, shut my page, my profile down. <laughs> what were you selling on there, man? <laughs> Nothing. I'm like, did somebody hack me or something? Yeah. I just one day I tried to lock in. It's like, you need to provide your passport in order to unlock your account. I'm like, okay, did somebody hack me and go in and, <laughs> and change something? No, I just had uh, the basics. And I hadn't really updated it because... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought I always kind of just thought I was an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurs don't use LinkedIn, but that's not true. No, um, not true at so all. 
So I, uh, I really need to get back onto that. And I think that's a platform where the exposure is really, uh, as Gary Vee says, like underpriced and, and you're oh, yeah. getting, you're getting a lot of, uh, of traction if you're, if you're adding value. Yeah. So just my experience with LinkedIn, again, I, I take a different approach on LinkedIn versus Instagram. Uh, on LinkedIn, everything's very professional. I don't really sell. I'm going to help you retire early because a lot of people see that as a pipe dream. So if you come off saying that, they're already going to think negatively mm. towards you. My approach in LinkedIn is solely just through educating others like, hey, yeah. this is the birth strategy. Not many people know that on LinkedIn, but when you write it down, their mind is blown and they think you're an absolute genius. And that's kind of what happened to me. Uh, a lot of people saw what I was doing on LinkedIn. Like I had the CFO of Unilever, uh, North America, not Canada, follow me on LinkedIn uh, by reading one of my articles, although Holy we didn't engage crap. in conversation. Still, like that's unreal. That's unbelievable. I'm getting a very good visibility on LinkedIn. Investment yeah. bankers are reaching out to me, probably equity people. These are people who could make potentially very solid joint venture partnerships. And I've gotten pretty solid leads, uh, haven't converted any yet, but on that relationship mm. building stage, um, I think I agree with Gary Vee completely. Uh, LinkedIn is definitely underutilized and people who are using it are using it the wrong way. They're trying to sell financial yeah. freedom and corporate people yeah. don't, don't believe in that. How do you think? Yeah, I'm just trying to like adapt because like my content's through the podcast primarily. What kind of like if this content translates onto that platform? Mm -hmm. Hey, we might as well talk about this. There's investors who, who aren't on LinkedIn, so they can get value from this too. So do you think and how, like, does video work well on, on LinkedIn or is it more like written article in your opinion? I think it really depends like what type of content you're putting out in videos. I know Jacob Perez is also doing LinkedIn and he's doing short two minute clips on um, different strategies. Again, I think it works well, but you can't sell anything and you need to go straight to the point towards things. And I think the preference would be to write articles just because it's more professional. I don't see LinkedIn. And that's as, what LinkedIn is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I see the, mo the in the front page and the homepage of LinkedIn, sometimes things will pop up where there are a lot of likes. Most of them tend to be an article or a mm -hmm. picture with a brief description or an achievement. So I've you, never could seen do, a video. you could do a picture of a house you did before and after, or even that's... Yes, I've, I've done that. Yeah. That tend to get less traction than my other stuff. Then just an article, no picture. Yep, yep. <laughs> my article, no picture, got yeah. 50 or 60 likes. And my picture of a before and after walking through the numbers got like seven likes. Ooh. I don't think people like to see that. It might be an egotistical thing is what they see. And corporate people are kind of cutthroat. So it's a different mentality. Yeah. 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 Instagram's a kind of a different place. Exactly. And Instagram, I just got to put the word like millionaire in, <laughs> in the picture. Yeah. And uh, and then it seems to do well. Yeah. You do not yeah. want to do that. On <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, def definitely. Like that, that just goes to show like, yeah, no matter where you are, like you should obviously get out there, but like kind of know your platform, know, know how people respond to it exactly. and, and then do volume. Um, I would definitely, if, if you're interested in being a multimedia person for me as an internship and I will pay you and you'll learn contact me because i would like somebody to just handle it for me and people need to take advantage of that because i was working yeah. for free for people i was working mm -hmm. for free for mike rose heart just to have the opportunity to learn from him so yeah. every weekend after my nine to five job head down there saturday work for free leave on sunday come back home yeah. and just repeat again and again um i don't know people just don't like to uh, yeah give, they feel like they're working for free and they're not getting thing, anything out of it you got to give value to get value except for the right person yeah <laughs> except for the right person mm -hmm. so no there, there definitely are i actually have uh one guy that that works for me uh in exchange for coaching and man does he hustle oh i love it that's amazing uh, he's crushing it and he's learning so much in the process learning real things that he can use um in his own business as he goes forward too mm -hmm. and if he goes through uh, like uh, obstacles, you're there to help him, oh, right? Because yeah. like he's there. Well, we're he negotiating deals together, right? He, exactly. Part of his services, you know, part of what he's doing is helping negotiate deals on my behalf. But then I'm also helping him negotiate his own deals too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's a big deal, right? Like mm -hmm. to to be able to to know what's a good deal, what's not, what things to watch out for. I mean, some things seem really obvious to you and I with with some experience buying properties, but uh, to people getting started, it's not always the case. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what else can you tell me about your goals and what you're trying to do? 
Mm-hmm. So the goal is ultimately to retire from corporate, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of what I want to do is I want to be a high school business teacher. And that's a bit weird because I'm getting paid more in my full-time job than a high school business teacher. But I read the book, Your Money or Your Life by Vicky Robbins, a personal yeah. finance classic. And one point that really resonated with me is that the fulfillment and value you get out of your your life with a lot of people it's by doing good and driving Mm. impact so when i pass away no one's going to remember me for having 50 or 60 properties and no one will care that i had 50 or 60 properties but if i impacted a couple people's lives then i know that will drive significant change and um my legacy will kind of carry on it's like a pay it forward Mm -hmm. thing um in high school for me there was i I was a very good student. I was very studious, but I didn't get the practical skills that I needed to execute in something like real estate or mm-hmm. to start my own business. Um, right now, how kind of how I see it is that students are going through one path, the path that the teachers teach them, which is finish high school, get good grades, go to university, get a corporate job. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of like if I'm investing in stocks and all I knew was Rogers, I would invest in Rogers because that's yeah. all I know. But if I knew that there was Bell, there was um, Talus out there, and I did my due diligence on all of those stocks, I can make a more educated decision. And students do not have that information available on yeah. in the different paths they have in life. So that's kind of my personal goal. I think I would, I would likely be able to achieve it by the end of the year if I can continue growing at the pace that I am go- growing at. Yeah. But I'm also going to take the pedal off a bit because I've acquired quite a bit of properties with staggered closing dates. Yeah. I need to make sure my JB partners are happy with that before I continue acquiring. Yeah. You got to be, you got to be careful with the growing really fast. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely. You can definitely get yourself into a little bit of a pickle because, you, you know, all is good until mm-hmm. a couple of things start going wrong and then they compound because, oh, crap, I just bought six of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing with all of them. But yeah. You're already getting the lessons, right? Oh, I thought that was a duplex. It's not. Okay, exactly. well, at least it was only one property. Mm-hmm. And now you can you know, sort that out. Now you know how to hand- handle that in the future. Yeah. I've always been cognizant of that. Uh, yeah, like it's hard enough to manage two properties. Imagine managing six renovations at the same time. So luckily for me, I staggered the closing dates. So one property closes in one month, another one closes another month. So yeah. they're all kind of separated. So I have enough time to get yeah. it maybe 60, 70, 80% completion before I roll on to the next project. Yeah. And I have a couple of contractors down in Windsor um, to get each project going as well. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree totally. You don't want to grow too fast because all it takes is... It, it could, it took me one year to build a reputation, uh, of where I was starting to raise capital and, and raise it, uh, pretty frequently. And all it takes is one bad review for me to lose it all. Yeah. Yeah. You really do got to watch out. And I think that that's one of the nice things is there is an accountability mm-hmm. to people when you're in the, in the public eye, right? You gotta, uh, you gotta be very, very careful how, how you proceed, which is good for all parties. You yeah. know, it gives the investor security. It, you know, it just works out really well for everyone. Mm-hmm. Are you managing the properties yourself when they're done? No, I'm getting a property manager uh, to manage the properties. Um, I I prefer that the tenants don't contact me. Um, I agree. (laughs) And again, my focus is on driving the 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 revenue portion i know in your podcast you mentioned a lot that your property managers will never care as much as you and i do absolutely agree with that um but you do need to find a property manager that cares enough and gets the job done um because again it's it's going back to that ceo analogy yeah um like if someone is crunching an an analyst is crunching an an excel spreadsheet Mm -hmm. and they get the work 80 percent correct Um, That analysis is going to be driven to uh, make business decisions, even though it's not 100% correct. Right. You need something that's not perfect because if chasing for chasing perfect will make you lose a lot of money. Oh, no, I agree. I agree completely. Um, Just something that does 70, 80% of the job and then you can continue scaling. Yes. Now I would never, and and to put context around what I've said about property management, I just had to be real about it. Um, You do need to understand that, that, Property management doesn't own the property, so therefore they're not they're not going to treat it like they do. Uh, what what I like to do, and what I have done, is I've created a lot of systems and I've onboarded property management, yeah. so to speak. So it's not that I do it myself; I don't. But there are certain things I would do even when I had my property manager, like go to the house and just like put my own eyes on it because mm-hmm. I just want to do that. So it's not that much. Even if you've got fifty properties in one city, it's not that much to make you know take a couple of days and go see each one of them. Agreed. 
Yeah, and and then you just know what's going on, right? You know, so no one is letting it fall apart on you. Yeah, or at least get someone in this. If you're doing long distance investing, yeah. you got to have some investors or friends down in that city yeah, who would do friend. that for you. Yeah, exactly. friends. Yeah, somebody that you can you know do a Go favor out. for, and they do a favor for you on one day. Sure. Uh, so what I do in London, I'll, I'll just drive down. I do it with my furnace filters, so I just use that as an excuse. Go in, take a look talk to the tenants if they're there, you know, show my face. Uh, but then as far as my systems go, it's pretty much a do not call me policy. Mm-hmm. Like there is no scenario where, where they call me in, in the email. I send them at the beginning of the year outlining conduct and how things will go. There is nowhere in there where it says call Andrew it's email me and I will respond. And, uh, the other, otherwise it's call the police, call the 24 hour emergency HVAC plumbing company, call, call, call mm-hmm. like it, but it's, uh, it, it really just requires, that's one of those things you can't be reacting on. Yeah. And the only reason I really knew this, cause I was overcompensating, as I said, uh, whenever something happens. So when my property manager fired me, it was like, Oh my God, I need, <laughs> I need to go crazy here. Like, what do I do? What do I do? So I started calling up my buddy who's like got a really established procedure. He self manages. And I'm like, give me the rundown. Like, what do I need to do? Like, what's going to keep me safe? And he's like, yeah, I got the emails. He shared some emails with me. I tweaked them, made them my own. And, uh, I think the next step is to actually get a procedures, like laminated procedures manual and have it attached to the house. That'd be amazing. That's the next one. Yeah. 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 I have it in email form, but it would probably be a good idea to have a physical copy there too. That's great. Systemizing is extremely important. I know a lot of people don't like to do it because no one wants to spend time systemizing when they could be raising capital or, or managing a renovation, but it's, it's just much needed it's, it's just time, much needed time on your business instead of in your business exactly exactly and a lot of people they want that laptop lifestyle you'll never have that laptop lifestyle of being able to travel and manage abroad um, if you don't have the systems in place yes exactly so it's not necessarily that you need a company to manage your properties it's that you need the systems mm-hmm. to manage them and and you will have people involved and you'll have delegation involved of course uh it's just I don't know. I had a few hard breaks. Those who know, who follow the podcast know my story, so yeah. I'm not gonna I'm gonna get into it. It just you know overcompensation again. Hey, we're finding examples of it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I got really burned in Ohio. Now I do things probably too carefully. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, but yeah, it, it's uh, it is what it is. But I like what you're what you're saying because you're 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 practicing that delicate balance that's keeping you productive. Like you said, eighty percent of the way there. And that's probably a good lesson for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that's not advice, but, uh, <laughs> but that is probably, uh, probably where most people will want to be. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, do you mind sharing? So you gave us some numbers on the one you said it was a, a slam dunk. Do you have like a burr that you've completed with some cash flow yeah. numbers we can do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I knew you would bring this part up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this would be my third property. Uh, I'll be interested to see the ROI as well. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Ended up purchasing it for 180. Okay. 180,000. That was an off market duplex. Uh, this was another lesson learned is that. You got to check if there's work orders, uh, ESA work orders. Apparently, I don't know, maybe you can confirm this. Lawyers don't check for ESA. I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah. either, but apparently they don't. So it was a surprise So they to were me. checking with work orders from the city, yes, but they didn't but check. ESA. E- ESA operates independently. So I do know that like the yeah. permitting is not through the city. So that would be why they wouldn't have found it. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was a lesson for me that was learned. Um, there's an ESA work order on it. Luckily, the fix was about $2,000. It wasn't that expensive. And I mm-hmm. recouped it all through title insurance. I recouped even... Uh, a bit more money through oh. title insurance. So that was Perfect. wonderful. So uh, that's not even really a lesson. Just hopefully that'll happen and you get some free electrical work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that off-market duplex picked it up for 180K. It was already, t- there was already a tenant downstairs, uh, $500 cash for keys. So that was really simple. Mm-hmm. I was surprised I was able to get the tenant out for 500 bucks. But the renovations were about, I want to say 34, 35K. Let's go 35K. Okay, including like carrying and stuff, or would you including? Uh, no, not including carrying and stuff. Sorry, it should be less than thirty five because I got the three k rebate for electrical. That I sure. Take so off. maybe do we? So where do you think it is, including taking that off All and of that, including carrying? Let's just say forty k. Forty thousand. Yeah. Okay. Keep it real simple. So purchase and reno. Um, Rano closing all of that. Yeah. So 40. we're in for about four uh, two forty or two twenty. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. It appraised for two seventy. Okay. All right. And then, so you got 80%, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah, got 80%. Yeah, so 216 is what you got. You were in for 220, so you're pretty much break even, pull all your cash out. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was so, somewhere close to that. So the net investment on that deal, you're in for uh, 
Well, I got four thousand dollars here. That's that's a pretty solid bird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now you, I think you were saying that uh, avocado toast was a challenge. I feel like we talked about avocado toast. Avocado toast. No, Didn't man. you say you made you made an Instagram joke about avocado toast? Oh, I did. Toast. I did. I did. You oh, can afford so all the avocado ago. toast yeah, you yeah. want now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got that good burr. Um, okay, so cash flow on that bad boy is uh, so it's renting for. Nine forty nine upper and twelve fifty lower and fifty dollars in the garage. Um, the total cash flow was after I I consider three percent capex three percent repairs three percent vacancy. I know you like to go fifteen to twenty percent on those if I'm not mistaken. I'll uh, usually do. It depends for my own purposes. Like it varies. It depends on the property. I'm I'm not so strict on a, on a percentage. I'm like be real. Like if this goes wrong, this so is a lot of down. money. So I I would probably normally be between five and eight percent on man on uh, maintenance and then management. I just build in whatever costs gotcha. I feel like I have. Not not a ton. Yeah. So so the cash flow on that is about seven hundred dollars after refi, assuming the twelve percent. So three three three. All right. So just break that down. So capital expenditure, you're saying improvements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then what else did you have in there? There's, uh, there should be, so 3% on vacancy, 3% for CapEx, 3% on repairs. So repairs. Can, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're in the roughly 6%, 6% percent range. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why are you differentiating between your repairs and capital? I don't need to It could just go into one. I don't really know. Like, I, I think that's how I saw it in a book or on a YouTube video. So I've just been going with it. But okay. Same thing. Uh, just yeah for my own curiosity here so okay so 700 times 12 and uh we've got 8400 a year in cash flow appreciation i think windsor you know justifies the three percent these days yeah so we'll call it 0.03 times your new valuation of 270 and then we've got mortgage pay down of uh of course i'm going to do my three percent cheat sure um so I just figure, of course, everybody go get a, an amortization table if you want the exact <laughs> number. But uh, 216 times the 3% to get an approximation of uh, 6400 in a year uh, to pay down. And that puts us at a $22,900 return annually. And if we compare that to your investment of only $4,000, I think that you're doing all right. Yeah. So you're doing like... 574 percent return on it. yeah that's the power of the burst strategy <laughs> didn't joint venture that one did you no that one yeah. i own 100 percent. yeah <laughs> yeah good 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 on you yeah that one that one you want to you want to hopefully have a few of those that are all yours uh, uh-huh. when you get but of course hey if you can give that to your partner they're gonna love you exactly exactly yeah. yeah the one of the i just finished another refi about four uh i say like four weeks ago or so um, and it was very similar to this. And that was with a joint venture partner. You can imagine he was very happy with that. Yeah. The only challenge with that is the expectation now is there. Yes. I think that's a big challenge I face is you got to set your expectations on social media as yeah. well. I'm kind of known as the burr guy in Windsor. So whenever people come up to me, they expect a full burr. And I mean, oh, it's the not perfect really, burr. Yes. Or very close to it. And I let them know that that's not completely reasonable to ask that. I don't, when I project these numbers, I didn't know it would appraise for 270. I put it at 250, but it happened to appraise more. I go conservative with the numbers, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. You got to set expectations for sure. Absolutely. I agree. So Austin, if uh, people would like to reach you, mm-hmm. I know you're everywhere, but you tell them where they find you. Yeah, the best place is on Instagram. So that's at Austin Ye6, A-U-S-T-I-N-Y-E-H-6. And I have everything on my link tree so they can click on that and see where yeah, I'm at. See, uh, so as far as uh, content creation, your main hub would be Insta, I'm guessing, or Insta, L- LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, Facebook. And now I've actually been trying to um, get on some newspaper articles as well. So uh, mm. I had the Toronto Star. Uh, I had a Toronto Star interview that I'm waiting to be published as well yeah. as Toronto Life. I'm just trying to get my name out there everywhere. Dude, get me in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try, man. I'll Austin, try. Austin was schooling me, telling me I, I needed to start being more proactive uh, <laughs> with with my appearances. I actually, yeah, I, I've for those who've been kind of paying attention, I've been on most of the Canadian podcasts recently yeah. and kind of making my my rounds that way and, and now doing some more like 
public speaking. I actually just spoke for the first time at uh, Right Club. Yeah. By the time this comes out, that'll be like, you know, month and a half old news. But And you'll be coming out to the the event in GTA yeah. that I'm hosting as well. Yeah, Myself, you're have Terry me. Daniel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Remind me. Do you remember the date? I, don't, <laughs> I think it's May. So you still have a lot of time. Is it May? Okay. Yeah, I'll send you a package over so you'll remember. <laughs> That's probably in my calendar. I do I do book things like that. So yeah, it's uh it's so critical. And you know, admittedly, like I got a lot going on and uh it's all about compartmentalizing and, and you know blocking your schedule. Uh and on that topic, let's let's talk some personal organization sure. for you. How I mean you're working full time and there's so many people that'd be like, Well, I, I work full time, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Tell us how it's done. This is a lot of sacrifice. Uh I got to be blunt. It's a, it's a lot of sacrifice. Um, luckily for me, and I can't say this with everyone's job, my job's relatively flexible, so I can work from home some days if I want to get some real estate stuff done along with my full-time work. Um, it's all about just setting expectations. So I'm not the type of employee to go above and beyond and try to grind for a promotion. I do a good job. I get what I need done. And if there's any down downtime, I can work on some other stuff on the side. But work is work. Work will always come first during work hours. During lunch, that's when I pull out the uh, cell phone and I just go bombard everyone with messages um, mm. throughout the day. It's, it's. I wish there was a secret ingredient. I think it's just finding a flexible job. Yeah, um, yeah the, throughout the day, I'll shoot text messages out if I need to. I'll step out for a quick one, two minute phone call. Um, but it's not that frequent. Um, yeah. It's only every once in a while. And a lot of the time after work, you just got to be willing to grind out and do whatever you couldn't do in the morning. You just got to do it after work. There's there's no secret to it. There's there's not really much secret to it. Um, but one thing that I did do recently is that um, I ended up speaking to my bosses and I kind of let them know that um, I have that nonprofit charity, um, which is that Rise Network, that event you're going to be coming to speak at. Yeah. Uh, so that's totally nonprofit. I told them that I've been working on that on the side al- alongside with my real estate portfolio. And you might not be able to do that with every boss, but they were completely supportive of that. Yeah. Um, cause as long as you get your job done, you do yeah. a good job, there should be absolutely no reason for them to, uh, I guess let you go or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. You never, you never know. Like everyone's different, but I mean, I think everyone's got to feel their boss out. Yeah. This is like Greek to me because I haven't really had a boss per se. I mean, I answer to clients. That's, uh, that's basically the thing, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to, I was never really, uh, one of those, those, uh, nine to five workers. No, yeah. no I taught at Western. <laughs> I taught at Western for a couple of years when I graduated. And that was like really the only job I had after graduating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, well, when I, when I worked in my summers between, uh, university, I actually worked at like a textiles factory, Firestone Textiles. Oh, nice. That was not fun. So you never had the, the sit down office job on the mouse? No, I mean, no. I did actually. So I did work, uh, pro funds in the office for about a year and a half okay. where I was like sort of their business hours, but it wasn't a, a salary job. It was a commission, a commission based job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so d- just different places. There's so, so many advantages to where you're at because you've got the salary to qualify for the mortgages. Exactly. Of course, now you're not really using it. No, I'm not using it as much. Um, but. So I just actually was able to lock up an off-market duplex today uh, on my way here. So I'll be keeping that 100% to myself. I want to definitely take advantage of my mortgage qualification before uh, I, I end up leaving. Because like once you're gone, that yeah, that's a pipe dream. That's not coming. Yeah, once you're gone, then you need to come up with a strategy for how you're going to run whatever you're doing through a company to pay yourself dividends and, and basically yeah. profit that way. And even that yeah. is still kind of a pain, uh, painful yeah, process. Yeah, it, it costs money. It takes years to to get you know a track record so that you can get mortgages. So yeah, there is that uh, that in between time, absolutely. And they're not just going to take your mortgages away because you quit, but they're you know they're not going to necessarily give you new ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, how are you structuring your JVs? Do those run through a company? or are they uh, in your personal name? I'm glad you asked me that. And this is not the answer that I'm proud to give, but it's on my personal name. But, 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 but I'm going to be incorporating very, yeah. very, 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 very soon. I didn't anticipate, like, yeah. I, like as I was saying, uh, in January, five deals, like I wasn't anticipating that type of growth. Yeah. So now I'm in the phase where I definitely do incorporate. 
Yeah, I've heard, so food for thought, I've heard feedback from people that when they had JV properties on their tax return, when they went to apply to the bank for mortgages, they're like, well, hey, wait, it says you own all these properties. Oh yeah, I'm a JV partner. I don't actually own them. I'm not on title. Well, it says here you own them. So we're going to build it into your, uh, we're going to build the debt into your ratio and only half of the ownership. So I've heard that as well. Uh, That's, if I'm not mistaken, that's typically if they register the agreement on title or they register the agreement on their property somehow or some way. No, that would be if you reported on a T776 mm-hmm. tax return on your, your Canadian rental property tax oh, return. I if see. If you throw that thing in there okay. as a 50% owner, oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta talk to my accountant about that. <laughs> yeah, so so if, where if it was in a corp and you were applying for a mortgage that would not show personally uh, and uh, and you would protect yourself in that way. Hypothetically, that's, again, I can't say that everyone's gonna think that way. Check with your accountant, check with your lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's how you're doing that. And then in terms of the JV agreement, where'd you get it? Who'd you work with? Uh, to me, the the concept of all the little details and sorting out in the mishmash uh, seems a little daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about doing JVs, yeah, I try not to overcomplicate things. So I kind of knew what structure I wanted to do—a structure that was tried and true, typical structure. You're fifty-fifty. The other partner, um, in the average case, will bring the borrowing capacity, bring all the capital. So a ton of people have that lawyer document. So I got mine off of a, a real estate investor who has done, I'm say, twenty or thirty JVs. Um, kind of just took it to my lawyer, uh, told him to review it, told them what I wanted in it. And uh, they just made some small ch- changes and tweaks here and there. I try to not stress myself out creating things from scratch because what yeah. I'm doing is not brand new. It's tried and true. Someone's done it before. So I just leverage yeah. other people. Yeah, I feel like it's best. Uh, I feel like it's best to to probably approach a, a lawyer that does a lot of them. Yeah. And they're going to already have a template that they know really well. I would venture a guess that if you bring your own agreement to that lawyer or versus just letting them use theirs, they'll probably cost you like a fraction if they use their own because they already know their own document and what it says and what it doesn't say. Whereas if you bring them a new one, they have to read the whole thing at $350 an hour. Mm -hmm. That's a good uh, thought. I never thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, I actually had a lawyer say that to me. He's like, you know what? I'm really good at it. Um, You know, $750 I can do one for because I already know this agreement in and out. I've done it a hundred times. Okay. Yeah, my lawyer's charging about $750. That, yeah, that model, there you go. Yeah. Like per time, uh, like to yeah, set it up per, each per time. Trip. Yeah, yeah. Money well spent. Okay. Well, I mean, like if it sets you up well, like I mean, if you uh, like pay lawyers for things like Absolutely. that, good God, yeah. <laughs> like definitely don't avoid the lawyer on things like that. I, I can't, uh, I can't stress enough that that half, uh, you know, going halfway on setting things up like incorporations and things like that, it's only going to get you into trouble. Yeah, and I always yeah. encourage the JV partner to get their own lawyer to review it as well. Yeah, um, because I don't want I don't want the JV partner to make to to say that I made yeah. them sign it without allowing yeah. them to get legal consent. Yeah. No, well, fair enough, man. It sounds like uh, you're doing one heck of a lot. I mean, the growth you've had is insane. So it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super impressed by that, man. I heard some numbers floating around about you. I'm like, no way. Possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you've, you've done a great job and, and you're showing people that, you know, all the noise is really just excuses. Yeah. You know, anything's possible if you put your mind to it. Uh, you're willing to give up your weekends and evenings and you're determined. And, uh, and you've done it and I've stepped, I've, I've done, you know, some serious grinding in my story too. And, and, you know, I think everybody's got to have that story at some point. So absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, anything else, any closing thoughts for our listeners and viewers before we go? Closing thoughts. Um, for those who are just starting off, um, there's going to be a lot of limiting beliefs that you have. There's going to be a lot of, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, and you just got to realize that once you surround yourself with the right people, yeah. uh, once you go out and network, once you make friends with other investors, then you realize that these limitations that you had on yourself is just kind of the average way that our brain has been wired. An average everyday person would say the same thing, but there is a, whatever you're thinking to do in real estate. There's definitely a way to do it. Someone's done it. You just got to go and surround yourself with those people. Yeah. And once you do that, I promise you uh, in two years or so, like you'll see tremendous progress, progress you would have never seen if you were trying to do everything yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. And and remember, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Exactly. So, so surround yourself. If, if you're thinking small, you're surrounding yourself with people thinking small, mm-hmm. thinking what you can't do, right? Mm-hmm. 
that's why to me attitude is so important very key yeah and the people i surround myself with Mm -hmm. thinking possibilities (laughs) anywho okay austin this was a pleasure thanks for uh for reaching out and and agreeing to come on and and uh yeah i'm looking forward to speaking at your event i will double check my calendar yeah (laughs) and and guys follow me on instagram you'll see the event on my link tree (laughs) yeah yeah we'll all yeah yeah we'll we'll make sure we get an announce i'll I'll definitely put it on my instagram too when i when i know so keep an eye guys follow me too (laughs) (laughs) all right okay talk to you soon guys thanks for watching today's episode just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on itunes if you're watching on youtube make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell uh, and also leave a comment and hey while you're at it why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help it helps this podcast grow and i would really appreciate it thanks again we'll see you on the next episode